If you were paying attention last year around this time, you might remember that I have a problem with Christmas. I, I don't like to admit it, but I think it's important to admit it, and I think it's important to help people understand what that problem might be. My problem with Christmas is that it is so often sentimentalized, so often made into this beautiful picture, uh, idyllic picture of life that isn't based in reality, whereas the real story of Christmas reveals to us reality that we could never understand otherwise and a reality that is very, very real. We like to think of stockings hung by the chimney with care, a beautiful crackling fire underneath our Christmas tree in the corner with gifts around it and ornaments that we made 20 years ago hanging on the tree. We want to, we like to think about that ski lodge. Probably we won't be going there, but we see it in the movies. Um, pretty much every Christmas movie has a ski lodge or some bed and breakfast or some romantic, beautiful place that um, the snow falls at just the right time. Uh, Christmas is romanticized uh, more than any other time of the year. It is sentimentalized more than any other time of the year. And the problem with sentimentality, as Flannery O'Connor points out, is that it makes us feel like we have something that we only have the feelings around. So what happens at Christmas is we have all these feelings that we think point us to or the, that we think mean that we get the meaning. We hear the, the term, the real meaning of Christmas all the time, but the real meaning of Christmas, according to most movies and shows and whatever, is this sentimentalized feeling of love or even an actualized caring about other people. But the real meaning of Christmas is far bigger than that. It is a global, universal truth that the word of God God himself became one of us in Jesus Christ. This is big news, and it is not captured by sentimentality. It is captured by the truth that of what God has done. And if, if we do not interact with that truth, we're not experiencing the true me or understanding the true meaning of Christmas. So in John one, we find God's revelation from the heavenly perspective about what Christmas is. So first we're going to look at ignorance and knowledge. We find here that John uses the word word to describe Jesus Christ, the word who was at the beginning, the word who was at creation. And you remember at creation, it, when the word was spoken, things came into existence. So the Jewish readers of this in the when it was um, first released, uh, would see the word, word, and understand that to mean word. They would understand the power of God's word, the power of God's word at creation, the power of God's word in scripture, and see that that word, that self-disclosure, that revelation is continuing then in this word made flesh, Jesus Christ. But the Greeks, when they heard the word word, heard the word logos, because that is the word that is used for word in Greek. And the word logos means, is the, is the root from which we get logical. And for the Greeks, it was a principle, an underlying principle of 
the meaning of the universe, the, the underlying uh, understanding of what makes life work, what makes life real, the meaning of life and the life force. Today, we might use terms like higher power or the force. And commonly now, people use the term the universe to describe this um, benevolent force that helps guide our lives, this underlying um, understanding of reality that sometimes impacts us. And I find it very ironic and, and honestly sad that that is the term that is used because as Romans 1 tells us, the universe is created. And the mistake that humanity makes that at great peril is to worship the created things rather than the creator. The created things point us to the creator. So when in common parlance we use the word or the term the universe for the underlying um, unifying principle of creation, we are confusing the created with the creator. The, this underlying principle is the creator. God holds the underlying principles of rationality and logic and making sense of all things in himself and then reveals that to us in Jesus Christ. So we must look to God to be that force, that truth. In Colossians 1, 15 and following, we read this about the Son, the Logos. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus Christ is this Logos. He was with God in the beginning and has been revealed to us through the incarnation, through his birth in Bethlehem. As um, Wesley put it in the great hymn, uh, my favorite Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, we we sing the words, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased in flesh with us to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. God has taken on humanity, and this is the real meaning of Christmas. And Jesus acknowledges, recognizes that without him, without God's word revealed, without God revealing truth to us, we live in ignorance. But Jesus comes to bring knowledge of the truth. So we've looked at ignorance and knowledge. Now let's look at darkness and light. Do you know in the other accounts of the birth of Jesus, he was born at night. The shepherds were visited by the angels at night, and the wise men followed a star at night, the star that came out at night to find where he was. And in this passage, we see the word light a number of times. 
Verse 7, John came as a witness to testify concerning the light uh, in him, Jesus, in, in, Jesus was, verse 4, in him was that was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then um, in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus brings light into a darkened world, and uh, light and darkness can be used for understanding and ignorance. Jesus brings understanding uh, where there was ignorance but light and darkness can also signify goodness and evil. And we, I think we have to understand the darkness that the world is under uh, that characterizes the world in order to understand how glorious it is that the light has come. Because we know that there are trials and struggles and tribulations in this world, that things are not the way we know they should be. The natural state of our universe, at least our part of it, is darkness, ignorance, and evil. And that does not mean that there are not bright spots. That does not mean that there is no joy. But the overall overwhelming um, characteristic of our existence is marred by sin and darkness and sadness and grief. But Jesus brings light. Jesus brings the answer to that grief, that darkness. The light triumphs over evil and sin and sadness. And it's important, I think, to realize that um, a lot of times Christians think of uh, being a Christian as a, a, a group of programs or um, techniques or tips to be a better person. That is not at all what Christianity is. Christianity is acknowledging the darkness that is around us, but the darkness that is within us, the, the problem of sin, of sinfulness. You can do everything as you understand it to be right, but you still have within you that sinfulness that uh, will probably make you very proud if you accomplish the goal of doing things the way you believe they should be done. Our problem is not just what we do, it's a problem of who we are. And Jesus Christ comes to answer that problem. That is why he took on humanity. He became human because humanity at its core needed to be redeemed, needed to be made new, needed to change. Jesus, in order to do this, brings grace. We find grace in verse 16, where it says, out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. And the, the Greek there is, is like grace piled up on itself. The idea is that uh, in him we receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, such that there is now nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He brings grace to make us victorious over that sinfulness. He brings grace to um, 
cancel out the power of the law when the power of the law was to show us how we could not obey well enough. But in his grace, he cancels the power of the law to condemn us by taking all of our sinfulness upon himself so that we are made clean, made right, brought into the light with then nothing to hide. Now let's look at power and vulnerability. The word was made flesh. The word, the creator, was made vulnerable. Now, a lot of people think that power is the way to accomplish things in this world. And even um, some Christians have fallen into the trap of thinking the way we get what we want is to exert our power, to exert our influence, to look at power as the way to accomplish things. Now, there are times when um, working uh, with the strength that you have is a good thing, but more often than not, as we see exemplified in Jesus Christ, the way to understanding, the way to change is vulnerability. Jesus became vulnerable. Now, I have walked by the TV on occasion when there is a a movie from a certain network based in a greeting card company uh, showing on the television, and it's interesting to me how often um, the plot is the same when the actors are different, and maybe even the same actors, uh, but the title's different, and the sets are often the same. But one of the tropes that um, the Hallmark Network uses is the, the prince who enters the town as a commoner because he knows that he can't find true love as a prince because any woman might be falling in love with him for his power, for his authority, for who he is as a prince rather than who he is as a person. So uh, this man um, enters the community as a normal guy and someone falls in love with him and then he can reveal to her that he is a prince. (laughs) In a way, that's what Jesus did with us. He came into our reality, into humanity, because we can't, we can't relate to him as the Prince of Peace, as the um, ruler of all things. But he came to us humbly to create relationship with us. We need to be known and to know In verse 14, it says, he dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us. And in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was where uh, the Spirit of God was said to live and uh, the tabernacle was carried around. But here, God's presence came into the world as a person and he tabernacled, he dwelt among us. God's reality was right there in front of us, but veiled in flesh. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as Hebrews 4, as Hebrews 4 tells us, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus understands. He understands you. He understands your sinfulness. He understands your griefs, your pains, and he reaches out to you with that understanding and also with grace upon grace that you can enter into fellowship with him. In one of C.S. Lewis's, um, well, in the Chronicles of Narnia, we are familiar with Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus. Well, C.S. Lewis got a letter one time from a young boy who uh, confessed to him that he loved Aslan more than he loved Jesus. And Lewis wisely wrote back, don't worry, everything you love in Aslan is Jesus. Everything we find in the sentimentality, everything that is pulling at our hearts in this sentimentality, really, every good thing is pointing us to Jesus Christ, is pointing us to the peace and joy and love and hope we have in him. So make sure to look through all those other feelings and look to the Prince of Peace, the Word of God, the Word made flesh, and find in him the answer to the longings of your soul.